2: Welcome to Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Reconstructing Church. We wanna talk about what it means to be the church today. How do we live out the mission of Jesus today with the cultural challenges we face in Christianity? The Book of Acts will be our guide as we learn to rebuild the church together in the power of the Holy Spirit. For more information, go to Garden.Church. Otherwise, enjoy
3: this podcast. It's good to be with you, and uh, to continue kind of this uh, conversation, well, maybe just before I get started on that, let me just underline the importance of that last series of announcements relative to the text of Scripture. Um, In this next year, um, I think it's fair to say that the wind is going to be blowing at hurricane force. The ground is going to be shaking at societal level, political levels, all kinds of levels. How do you plan to be anchored so you're not blown off course by what's coming in the next 12 months. Scripture has the ability to anchor your soul. So so don't just get into it, get it into you. Let it let it begin to shape how you how you think, how you process, how you filter. It will it will help you with discernment. Uh, on, on, on the things that are coming at you at, at lightning speed. So uh, it will be uh, helpful to, to do that. And also, uh, it, it will be worthwhile as we continue this conversation on, on kind of reconstructing church to have a, a good, solid foundation in uh, Scripture that enables us to let it inform our experience. To let it uh, give language and, and frame to to what we're what we're seeing, what we're noticing a, as we attempt to to reconstruct. Because I, I think it's fair to say, deconstruction is fairly easy to do. You, uh, toddlers deconstruct, uh, they tear stuff apart, uh, and, and um, they, and, and of course, it doesn't, it's not rocket science, it's not hard to find things that are wrong in the church. Uh, it's a target-rich environment. Uh, the, the challenge is having, having l- 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 deconstructed not to let cynicism be your new religion not to let skepticism be the place that I get, I get stuck. And that, that's, that's, that's easy to do, uh, but it doesn't actually help anybody. Uh, like I said, you, it, to, to, to throw rocks at the passing parade it doesn't require actual contribution to the solving of the problem. So uh, what we've been after here is how do we, how do we put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Now that we've recognized, and, and it's not that there aren't things to critique, it's not that there aren't things that are wrong. The question is, having identified those, how do I become part of the solution rather than simply pointing out the problem? And the, our conversation then is anchored back into the into the first century church, into the first kind of go around where we were learning all of these things for the first time, and and, and realizing that they didn't get it all right either, uh, but the, the, the bones, if you will, of reconstruction are there. The foundation is there. So we've been attempting and will over the next several weeks to kind of reconstruct by working through the book of Acts and, and kind of episodically and asking the question, what did, what did they know and how did they, they put their life together in a way that that reflected the work of the Spirit, their awareness of Scripture, their uh, the challenges of of of, of community, uh, of 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 folks that we didn't previously think belonged, and now all of a sudden are our brothers and sisters. What's that about? How do we how do we negotiate that? And so we uh, recognize uh, that the gospel. Uh, um, message has to work itself through, com- it can't just remain theory. It can't just mean floating above in some ethereal sense. It's got to be boots on the ground. How do we, how do, we do this? And uh, the book of Acts gives us a framework uh, uh, for that, and particularly to push back against the current cultural moment, which has a religious feel of its own, uh, and and, and will we'll, uh, attempt to conform us to a, a, a way, uh, an understanding of how life, life operates without the gospel. So the, the kind of the tagline for this morning is more gospel, less religion. More gospel, less religion. And, and please notice the operative word for me in this one is less religion. We need religion. Because, I mean, you've heard the phrase, I'm spiritual, not religious. And my, my gut response almost always when I hear that is, well, you won't be spiritual very long. If you don't have a container, if you don't have a structure, if you don't have a community, that spirituality will dissipate really quickly. Uh, and so the, it's not, it, it, the, the challenge is, how do I let the gospel, the good news, the scripture, inform my religion rather than my religion informing what the Bible has to say, what my experience means, uh, and so on. Does, does that make... Because as long as the river is flowing downstream from the gospel, we'll be fine, right? Because it will critique our religion. It will, it will, it will call... Now, the question is, having formed a structure of control, which is what I, can happen with religion... Am I able to hold it loosely enough that my religion has some expansion joints in it that, that, that grows to accommodate the new understanding of who God is and what he's doing and, and how he might want to operate? Uh, that's the challenge uh, because part of the reason we love religion so much, even if we use that language disparagingly, is that it gives me a sense of, of understanding and control, and I know what to expect, and so on and so forth. And not necessarily bad until it now begins to define what God must or must not do and how the gospel works or, or doesn't. So, and, and we, we are no less uh, challenged by this than the people in the first century were. And so we're looking at the story uh, this morning in Acts chapter two. The Holy Spirit has... Uh, come and, and brought life in an echo of Genesis chapter 2 to the gathered body of the church and the, the birthday of the church, Acts chapter 2, uh, we get a sense of that. And, and because it it has a public manifestation, people are, are hearing God's praise in their own heart languages from people who never learned them. It, it is a miracle beyond precedent. And, and they're struggling to make sense of this. And because it coincides in the Roman Empire with the Feast of Bacchus, the god of wine, the conclusion is these pi- people must still have a hangover from, from last night's celebration. And so Peter stands up on this morning and says, Acts chapter 2, verse 14, with the 11, and addresses the crowd and says to them, fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen to what I'm saying. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, quoting Joel, God says, "'I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams.'" Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, signs. God did these among you through him, and you know this. Now this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of death. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life and will fill me with joy in your presence. So fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, that the patriarch David died and was buried. We can visit his tomb today. But he was a prophet. He knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of death, nor did his body see decay. And God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it. Exalted. to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy, we, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has now poured out what you see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, but he said, "The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool." For your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So with many other words, he warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized about three thousand were added to their number that day. I think it's worthwhile just commenting on that last line that that, that from the get go the Holy Spirit is telegraphing that He's in charge of this, that the church structure will never be adequate for the work of the Spirit. That the the, the, the temptation to 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 institutionalize the charisma will be met with loss with it, it, it's fraught it won't won't work so the Holy Spirit is 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 signaling is telegraphing that from from the beginning he colors outside the lines because it, it, they had the same situation that we had and that is that there are people who belong and people that don't belong and the Holy Spirit is saying you don't get to decide that that I'm I'm going to include people that you'd just as soon not see included, and among them might be you for somebody else. So so this invitation to begin with is, is to recognize that when we start at the beginning of the passage we'll look at today, where we end is a God who is bigger than we had possibly imagined that he is. So the, the story starts here. They are on the day of Pentecost. They are celebrating uh, the, the, the birth of the church, if you will, the coming of the Spirit. And uh, by the way, should we just stop and notice, if there is any proof needed for the power of the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it is Peter's story on this day. The last time we saw Peter, he was cowering before a 16-year-old girl around a fire, denying that he even knew the Christ. And here we have him standing up with his brothers and declaring boldly uh, the gospel. And and that, that by itself is a testimony to the power, testimony to the strength uh, of the of the work of the Spirit. So when he stands up, the gospel, remember the good news, which is what gospel means, uh, in, in, includes a range of things. And I want you first of all to notice that Peter ties what's happening to their common knowledge of the Old Testament. Remember, we just talked a minute ago about how important scripture is. It's, it's a moment like this. These folks are soaked and saturated in the text of Scripture. They're familiar with the Old Testament. And Peter is saying he wants them to... This isn't anything new. This is a through line. He uses the prophet Joel, but he's going to make the case... That this this whole business of Jesus and the resurrection—if you—if we had had eyes—if we had had eyes to see, because remember the disciples didn't see it any more clearly than anybody else did—if we had had eyes to, we would have made sense of this from the get-go. In fact, you may may recall on that on that road back from Jerusalem on that Sunday morning. You remember that stranger that drew near. What what was the text he used to help us understand what we had experienced on that Easter weekend? It was Moses and, and, and the prophets. And he he, he he showed us the crumbs that had we been paying attention, we would have made sense of what we saw, that the Messiah himself had to suffer and die. That would have made sense, but because our religion had framed what those texts must mean, we were unable to see what God was doing. Does that seem like it might be a problem today? That our belief of what God must do disables our ability to see what God is actually doing. And this is the concern that Peter is, 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 is addressing here. And he wants them to know, secondly, not only is this in the through line, we'll come back to that, but that this actually ushers in the final act of human history. These are the last days that we are in, and he uses all these eschatological, um, fanciful uh, images of 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 the sky and the and the uh, planets and the sun, the, all of these symbols that were part of apocalyptic literature in the Old Testament and into the New, and he uses them symbolically to say, "Guys, the clock is ticking down." The, 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 the army is on the march, God is, God's victory has already been accomplished, God's already uh, seated Jesus, if you will, on the throne, he is already the Lord of the universe, it is now just a matter of time before time ends. We are in the last days, and this is really important. Especially because with everything that's happening in the Middle East, with everything that's happening uh, geopolitically, there is, uh, since, since the late 1800s, there has been this attempt to say these are the last days in ways unique to what Peter is saying. That is to say uh, that, that we, have, we have ways of determining how close the clock is to finally ringing midnight. And, and Peter just wants to say, y'all don't know what you're talking about. Just because somebody sneezes in the Middle East doesn't mean that Jesus is on the move in unique ways. You you need to pay attention. You need to get ready. You need to stay ready. And then when he comes, you won't be disappointed. It might take a lot longer than you thought. In fact, Jesus himself is concerned. You see it in Luke 18. When the Son of Man returns, will there be anybody left? Or will he all be endlessly speculating on when I'm going to return? Will anybody be doing what I told them to do? Do, do? do you see what I mean? And speculating on his return is not one of the things he told us to do. Does that make sense? So, so, so Peter is saying, guys, the clock is ticking down, clock in, it's, it's time to recognize heaven is breaking in, learn to tell time, Pay attention to what's going on and be engaged in in this moment. And and while you're at it, you might want to think about getting on the winning side. Be saved. Don't don't pretend you've got this dialed in and you'll finally surrender your life at the last minute. You, you, You don't know when that last minute is going to be. So he says, repent and be saved. And, and this invitation, this prophetic uh, um, uh, voice from, from Joel lets him press in hard. And then notice he makes this connected. This, this Jesus of Nazareth, that's what we're talking about. That's what this is about. Um, because the gospel, the good news of what God has done, begins with bad news of what we did with what God was doing. He, you'll notice what he says, this, 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 this man was handed over, God attested to him, miracles, signs, wonders. There's not a single one of you who were in, in, in the network at that time that didn't ask, the, well, why do we, what, how do we make sense of this? But our religion made it impossible to see those signs and wonders as proof of his identity because we mistook what Messiah was going to do. Because he wasn't the Messiah we wanted, we refused to allow him to be the Messiah we needed. This is still the problem today. It's like, I just have a real problem with Jesus every once in a while, don't you? It's like, dude, read the script. I need you to do stuff. And, And I believe in you to do stuff. And Jesus refuses to be put in the box of my religion any more than he was put in the box of theirs. And, and so the invitation is to let Jesus be the Lord of everything. And how did he get there? Well, Peter said this, this wasn't a reaction to our rebellion. This isn't like God's plan B. In fact, as we sit and soak in the text of scripture, what we learn is this is what God had in mind all along. Even before our Genesis 3 brokenness, even before we rebelled, even before we took a left turn into independence, God, seeing that happen, had put in place a solution that would enable us to get home in time for dinner. This is a remarkable thing. It doesn't mean we're not culpable. It doesn't mean we're not responsible. Peter's going to go right to them because before again, the gospel is good news. It's bad news. And the bad news is you killed him. You killed him. Not somebody you know, you. We were all partners in this. And and this is, by the way, if the gospel's ever going to be good news for you, you have to accept the truth of it's being bad news for you. You participated in his death. It was not some random Roman soldier spurred on by, by, by religious bigots. It was me. I was there in spirit, if not in person. And I contributed to it. It was because of my sin that he was hung on the cross. And if that can't be true for you, if you have, 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 have relativized, the because we do this, this is what our religion enables us to do. It's very useful this way. It enables us to identify some really bad people who contributed to the death of Jesus. And I, I don't know, I, I was just doing, uh, and Peter says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. You were there and you're complicit. You're culpable. And he died. And then this astounding line: But God raised him from the dead. What? Now, this had always been in the story. This had always been in the breadcrumbs if we'd been paying attention. But our religion had no room for resurrection. Our religion had no room for anything but victory. And so here, Peter is is just outlining, nobody saw God sneaking in the back door of death to bring new life. We we, we thought death was the end of things. And and the truth, of course, is you you got the memo, death is just the beginning of new life. You gotta go through, Jesus didn't die so that we wouldn't have to. He died so that we would know how to. Because on the other side of the door of our dyings, plural, is resurrection life. So he invites us to join him, freeing him from the agony of death and and, and taking death and turning it inside out as now the seedbed of wonder, seedbed. Of, 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 of new life. So this is the tradition formed by these Old Testament stories that our religion had blinded us to. This is what God has been up to since the beginning and since before the beginning of creation. And so Peter then goes into this conversation uh, uh, about, uh, about how, how, how resurrection sets everything right side up. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming. In fact, Paul will later say in Corinthians, had the principalities and powers, had the spiritual rulers known, what they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know either. They, they, They were clueless as to God's strategy. How in the world do you have a religion in which the God, king, creator, Lord of the universe becomes the servant of his creation? How does, what God in his right mind would ever give up power for that? Nah, can't be true. Well, as it turns out, it is true. And please notice, this is how he expects you and me to partner with him in the saving of the world. It's, he's not remotely interested in, in, in giving us more power for the sake of Domination. He doesn't, didn't want to make Israel great again? (laughs) All right, thank you, uh, I'll I'll, I'll be here all week. Um, Because nationalisms of any kind are not anything God is even remotely interested in. Every kingdom is going down when the kingdom of God is finalized in reality. So we ought to be careful about our allegiances and our alliances. They need to be informed by resurrection life, the life that nobody saw coming, the life that our religion blinded us to and still will blind us to if we're not very careful and disable our capacity to partner with him in how he actually plans to save the world. He makes this statement uh, that, that this resurrected and, and, uh, and, and victorious Messiah, now uh, this descendant of David, fulfilling the prophecy, the prophetic word that David uh, uh, was aware of, but wasn't fully uh, cognizant of to whom it uh, applied, and, and, and Peter is just gonna say at the end of the day, this, this Messiah, this descendant of David, This promise of God, whom you crucified, is actually Lord and Messiah. And and again, by the power of the Spirit, that convictional awareness that blew out the side of their religion, and they realized all of a sudden, we're on the wrong side of this story. What do we do? Brothers, sisters, what do we do? And Peter says, you repent. That's what you do. You be baptized, not just physically in water, although that's an important thing, but baptism is a mark of dying. You die to your old religion that disabled capacity and you rise to newness of life so that you can partner with God in in what he's doing and, and receive that forgiveness of sins. This is astounding. Wait a minute, that's it? we repent and it's all good again? Yeah, that's what happens when you have a God who uses his power to serve you through death to life. That's what happens. It's that easy. In a moment, you can turn from death to life. Raising Jesus from the dead, God didn't break a sweat. It's not hard for him to overcome all of the deaths in our lives. He invites us then to, to turn, t- repentance isn't thinking a new way, it is that, but it means primarily to live a new way in the light of the f- new thinking. It has to w- work itself out in how we start to follow Jesus, in terms of our, our money, in terms of our individual identities, in terms of, uh, of our sexuality, in terms of how we treat people at work, in terms of how, how we drive on the freeway. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. If it doesn't work its way out into the fabric of our everyday lives, we have yet to understand the full extent of the gospel, Do, do you see? And so he invites us to participate in this in, 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 in significant and, and new ways. What do we do? Well, you repent. You turn away from the systems, from the religion that doesn't work anymore and are immersed in the way of, into the way of Jesus. The outcome? Forgiveness. This is the part I love. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't forgive me when I ask. He has forgiven me already. There is no my sin no longer stands between God and me. It might stand, though, between me and God. So when I ask for forgiveness, I'm stepping into a reality that has already been shaped for me by Christ on the cross. That's, that. Do, do you feel that shift? It's an important one because sometimes we have to, we feel we have to earn something that's already been given freely. Now, having received it freely, there's a lifestyle that's required of us to walk in that, in that repentance. And the outcome of this, it says 3,000 people were at it. The Holy Spirit just says, I see your 12, and I raise you 3,000. <laughs> and by the way, this is an echo. Day of Pentecost is, is an echo of the day the law was received. By, it, that's what was commemorated on that day. And if you read the Old Testament, you'll know that on that day, as a result of the rebellion, Moses up on the mountain with God, the children of Israel down in the valley anxious and worshiping another God. And the penalty of their disobedience was the death of 3,000 people. So part of what the Holy Spirit is saying as we can recover from your most abject rebellion. He's inviting us to walk in that newness, newness of life. Peter will later on go in the next chapter and, and say, brother, fellow Israelites, chapter uh, three, verse 14, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold. All the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer, so repent. Repent, that he may send. uh, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, that he may send the Messiah who he has appointed for you. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised. Part of what Peter wants them to know is that this act is not the final act, but the curtain has opened on the final act. This resurrection, this uh, moment of, 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 of new life, this pushback on the edges of our religious understandings has, 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 has begun uh, because, uh, again, we killed him because he didn't fit the mold of our, of our religion, and he still doesn't. I've been a follower of Jesus most of my life. And I got to tell you, um, he is bigger now than when I first started. He's more forgiving. He's kinder. He's gentler. He's more generous. He's more ferocious. He's more magnificent than I had ever possibly imagined. I needed a religion to hold what I can, but that has expansion joints for my new and fresh, blow-out-the-box awareness of who God is. Yeah? And, and, and so Peter invites us into this, into this awareness. But the place to begin is with repentance. With repentance. I, wanna, I, I, I need to change the course and direction of my life. And by the way, you probably have already figured this out, but repentance is not one and done. This is a lifestyle of reorientation. Every time gets bigger, God gets bigger, I need to re- rebuild the box. D- does that make sense? Uh, and, and live in, in the new way. So let's pray. Oh, Lord. Um, I'm so grateful for the fact that you keep on expanding in, in my awareness of you. Uh, and I, and I'm, I just confess, oh Lord, how easy it is for me in fear and insecurity to um, uh, want you to stay inside the box that I've built, um, to, to, to conform to my, my ways of believing. And I, I'm aware, oh Lord, um, that you lovingly but persistently continue to push out the edges, and I suspect, Lord, that there might be somebody here this morning as well who has has, has maybe deconstructed so thoroughly they're not sure what they believe anymore. And I pray that uh, maybe even this morning, the invitation to repentance, to turn back, to 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 let you help them with the building blocks of of of, of resurrection and new life, and lifestyle changes that accompany that, that you would empower them for that good work, uh, and that we, O oh Lord, we, O oh Lord, would join you in your work in these last days. We pray in your name.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at garden.church.
2: hearts are open